John I loved all the movies and I loved all the songs I told Gabriella that I must be on my way She was kind of pissed cause she wanted me to stay I told her I had to take a trip to the hills Just so I could see how it feels Up in the plains while dancing with the stars Out to the hills we're driving in the cars It ain't no secret everybody knows Where I left and why I have to go Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Automan.ca featuring Daryl Miller from legendary Canadian metal band, The Killer Dwarves, as well as Laidlaw, and of course his brand new band, Automan.ca, who are playing The Outhouse in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, on the 27th of October. You just heard right now on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, Crazy and the Brains with Don't Need No Snacks from the Don't Need No Snacks cassette. And you're hearing the cassette right there on Baldy Longhair Records. Thank you, Baldy Longhair, for sending me all these amazing cassettes. All of them have download codes, but that actually was a cassette being played over CITR radio. And you heard Lindsay Lohan there by Crazy and the Brains from the Don't Need No Snacks cassette on Baldy Longhair Records from New Jersey. Thank you again, Baldy Longhair. So as I mentioned, today in the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, Daryl, Daryl Miller, Daryl Miller from the Killer Dwarves. Now...
singer of Automans.ca to prepare you for the Killer Dwarves Automan.ca, thought I would play you some vintage Dio. Some really vintage Dio, including three seven inches here that I have of Ronnie James Dio. It's Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, and Ronnie Dio and the Prophets. And the records are actually from the 1960s, very early Ronnie Dio, before he was doing the metal, when he was doing the doo-wop and the rock and roll. Something from 62, got also something here from Dio from 19. 19- 63 and some we'll probably do it in chronological order and something from 1965 yeah there we go we're gonna play a bunch of ronnie james dio this ronnie dio and the prophets at that time to prepare you for daryl miller from the killer dwarves and automan.ca and we'll have to ask daryl all about ronnie james dio because i know he knows a lot about dio and metal but before we get to ronnie james dio ronnie dio and the prophets gonna play something here by the rap and reverend Dexter Wise the third. Gonna hear I ain't into that by the rap and reverend. He's a reverend and he raps from 1986. Here's the rap and reverend on the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show with I ain't into that. Trying to make me straight Serving me death on a silver tray They get on my nerves Wasting my time Offering me dope, sex and crime But I hang tough and stand up tall I look them in the eye And I tell them all Get out my face you low down cat I'm a different breed I ain't into that I ain't into that Weed, no dirty deed, no drug abuse, no jive excuse. I ain't into that. No staying out late, no drowning in hate, no turning tricks just for kicks. No butcher knife, no taking life, no skipping school, no acting the fool. I ain't into that. Bars, no shacking up, no getting down, no hanging out, no standing around. Uh uh-uh. uh, I ain't into that. No driving drunk, no classes flunk, no throwing stones, no breaking bones, no dipping snuff, and all that stuff, no carrying a gun just for fun. I just ain't into that. No mugging the old, no hot stuff sold, no busting heads, ending up dead, no having babies before I'm ready, no being a parent when 
feeling too young to go steady. I definitely ain't into that.
you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there Ronnie James Dio or Ronnie and the Prophets with Where You Gonna Run Girl from 1965. And before that, Ronnie James Dio and the Prophets from 1963 with Gonna Make It Alone. And before that, Ronnie James Dio and the Prophets from 1962 with Upa Pa. 1962, 1963, 1965 recordings by Ronnie James Dio, Ronnie and the Prophets. And before that, we played I Ain't Into That by the Rappin' Reverend from 1968. Coming up, an interview with Daryl Miller from Automan.ca, who are playing The Outhouse in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's suburb, Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, on the 27th of October. Daryl has an amazing musical career. As I mentioned, he's been in tons and tons of rock and roll bands. This particular band has no real bearing to Daryl, but we're going to play it anyways. It is a similarly titled band, and they are called, well, you know them from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada as the Young Canadians, the K-Tells. And here they are doing a song called Auto Man.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller. Are you there? I certainly am here. Who are you? I would be Daryl Dwarf Miller is my full name due to my past with the killer dwarfs. This dwarf thing is actually on my passport, so I still use it. <laughs> Loud and proud, and also with Automan.ca. And interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you heard the song I just played right now. It was Automan by the Young Canadians K-Tells. Have you heard that song before? I see it in the searches. I haven't heard it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of stoked I just heard it because I've seen it on iTunes near our songs, and I always see it in searches, and I'm going... It freaks me out at first because I, I I think it's another band called Auto Man at first, which I don't wouldn't want, and then I see it's a song, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> but your band isn't called Auto Man; it's AutoMan.ca. You're taking it to another level, aren't you, there, Daryl? Well, I am, and and in short, the reason is there was a TV show in the U.S. called Auto Man, and you know what? It it was a Glenn A. Larson production in the '80s that didn't do very well. But if you do a search, that's all you see is this cheesy show he had and so you know i basically just tacked ca on to own it to own the name and it's our website but you know what the fans just call us auto man but to find us online you definitely have to type out the full name automan.ca so i played the ktels slash young canadians automan from august 1979 what were you doing at that time and what did you think of punk mr automan daryl miller well, punk was a, a giant movement, and uh, I was actually a very young lad uh, in 1979, but I had grown up very fast, and I, I was actually playing clubs when I was 14, 15 years old. My, my parents uh, had to sign a waiver with the liquor license board, and we could go in and play clubs, and then we'd have to leave right after the performance. And I had a band called Sphinx, like the Egyptian Sphinx, and it was a three-piece band. And I was a drummer-singer, and we actually toured the whole country by the time I was 17. So I just remember uh, growing up in Toronto, uh, the punk thing was, was alive and well. Ramones come up here a lot. Uh, Teenage Head was a big band from Hamilton. Uh, you know, and, then, and there was a big movement here for it. And I didn't dislike it, although I was into more classic rock myself back then. I was a big fan of, you know, Rush and Foghat and Kiss and bands like that. And it, back in the 70s, that was what I grew up with, Aerosmith and that, that kind of thing. And you still got it. You're not afraid to wear the leather red chaps, are you, Daryl? <laughs> I could I'll be honest with you. I only wore those twice. <laughs> they look awesome. Did you like them? Oh, cool. I think they're yeah, amazing. I was, they're, they're, that was going out of my box a little bit, wearing those. But uh, they, they, I, I had them made for this, the video, actually. We, we, we had, there's a video on uh, Auto Man Rock Band uh, channel. It is. It's youtube.com slash Auto Man Rock Band. That's the channel. And there's a teaser documentary style video up right now of us playing a show at the Hard Rock. And I had them on in that. And you've probably seen that. And now there's going to be a major HD video coming out for the song Bonafide. It's coming out in a month. So and that's a lead up to that, this video that's coming out, which is going to be service to much music and MTV, whatever's left of it. You know, I mean, there's one show, Much Loud, I think it is, or something. And if people want to see automan.ca, you're playing The Outhouse in yeah, Abbotsford. I'm pretty stoked about this. Un unfortunately for Vancouver, let me tell you what happened. When this tour was being put together six months ago, Halloween happened to fall on a Wednesday this year, 
And the weekend before, as you know, is the party weekend. So Friday, Saturday, the weekend before Halloween, that's the club's, nightclub's biggest night of the year pretty well. So my, my problem was I had a difficulty getting into these club shows in Vancouver and on the island because we get a lot of radio airplay on the island, and I wanted to play Nanaimo and Victoria. And these clubs are booked a year in advance for those nights. So I ended up playing on the outskirts, uh, which I'm very happy to do the show, uh, on the Saturday night, the 27th. It's a Halloween party. But unfortunately, I'm not playing right in Vancouver this time. But that's okay because it's a cool punk house in Abbotsford, the outhouse in Abbotsford on Saturday, October 27th. That's automan.ca with Daryl Miller, who I'm speaking to right now. And Daryl, you are metal, though. You are metal. I was mentioning punk, but you are metal. I can call you metal, can I? You are metal, aren't you? Well, the Killer Dwarfs were probably a big part of kind of inventing Canadian-wise that whole metal scene in the 80s. We were one of the leading bands of the 80s, you know, along with Motley Crue and and the rest of them. Yeah, what can you tell the people about the Killer Dwarfs that maybe not have heard of the Killer Dwarfs? What's the importance of the Killer Dwarfs? A bit of background there, please, Daryl. Okay, well, uh, all Canadian band, very few people knew that. We were from Toronto, but we had a major record deal in New York City with Epic Records. Uh, some of the biggest tours we did were with Dio, uh, Iron Maiden, uh, Michael Shanker, Sapt, Saxon. I, I, I can't even remember so many tours we did. And, you know, the band did very well from 1985 to, to 94, you know, but that's going back a long time. So unless you're in your 40s, you wouldn't know the significance of how big Auto Man, or sorry, <laughs> Freudian slip, I just said Auto Man, the killer dwarfs. You wouldn't realize how big we were then. We were nominated for Juno as well, and we were up against uh, Rush. And it was for Record of the Year in 1991. And uh, I remember Russ and I, the singer in the Dwarfs, we we didn't want to win against Rush because they were like heroes to us. And we kind of crouched down in our seats when the camera was coming along. Killer Dwarfs, Dirty Weapons. It was Rush, Signals, whatever. And Rush won it. So we were actually relieved. And it was in Vancouver that year, the Junos. 1991. Yeah. Daryl of the Killer Dwarves Automan.ca. I mentioned punk again off the top. We played the Young Canadians, a true punk band from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with their song Auto Man and your Automan.ca. Did yeah. any musicians you know sell out and go punk? Like Mike Tramp of White Lion turned into a Mohawk wearing Mike Lion of Mike Tramp of White Lion. In other Mike words, Lion for sure. Yes. In, <laughs> in other words, did any musicians you know sell out and go punk? Because at that time, mentioning the nineties, you know, the Killer Dwarves break up. You're doing your metal thing, and the cool thing was to go punk. You know, Rancid, Green Day, go punk. Did you know any musicians that sold out and went punk? Good question, and, and I actually don't. I really don't. I mean, my peers were like Motley Crue, bands like that. I mean, the closest to that, they, those guys love punk, actually. And, like, Nikki Six, a huge punk fan. And, like, Tommy Lee cut his hair and all that. I mean, like, just in people in my circle that I know, personally, I'm, you know, that's that's about it. I don't know anybody that that just jumped from, like, like the Lion, White Lion guy did. That's like That's, like, extreme, man. I mean, I still have hair... Up two feet long. I haven't changed at all except I've got a pirate beard now. That's my image. <laughs> Daryl of the Killer Dwarfs, where were you when you first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit? Man, I'll never forget this. This is a really good question because it was it was a an interesting 
feeling that came over me when I seen this. I was in Los Angeles recording the last Killer Dwarfs record called Methods of Madness. It's being produced by Andy Johns, who's, who's a huge producer, who produced The Stones and Zeppelin, and, and he's just a very respected producer. He'd done two records of ours. We were lucky to work with him. And I was in the lounge of the studio, and Russ was in the basement singing vocals on a track, and I was watching MTV, and the video came on for that song. And I sat there, and I put my head into my hands, and I just thought, this is it. It's over. <laughs> this is just how it hit me. And sure enough, metal ended, and we lost our record deal, and we broke up about a year later. Well, what happened to the metal world exactly? Like, how did Nirvana kill it? Why was Cinderella told not to bother making a video for MTV? Why was the drummer for Warrant packing video boxes? Why was Enough's Enough doing, like, a club tour in Pittsburgh? Why was the guy from Bang Tango an antique stealer? What happened? Well, let's not fool ourselves. If you look at the history of rock and roll, it evolves. It evolves immensely every decade, every 12 years, sometimes every six years. It, it evolves in different styles, and, and, and as generations move on, new things get invented, new sounds, some old sounds just come back, kind of like what's happening now. And that's all it was. And it was partly the metal world's fault themselves because the formula that record labels were using was, you know, do the big rock heavy song, do the ballad, do the video for the ballad, hit MTV, boom, boom, boom. It just, it's, it was a formula. It started and it worked and it sold a lot of records. But they used it to the point where it turned into a hair band world, not even so much metal. It turned into the hairspray, guys looking like girls, and, and not really great musicians and great bands were starting to, to sell records. And just too many bands like that. It was just, it got watered down to the, to a ridiculous stage. And, you know, as, as upset as I was about how I kind of lost my job after Nirvana for a while, I actually look back on it now and I can almost thank Nirvana for, because <laughs> something had to give. That's, that's my take on it. That's how I look at it. Do you think it might have been those subpar albums, like subpar albums and laziness by bands such as Great White, Poison, White Lion, and Trickster? Did they contribute to this at all? Like Killer Dwarves, you were given it. There are no subpar albums or anything, or laziness. But those bands, they weren't really given her, were they? No, I, I don't want to point fingers or, or name names, but, you know, there was, there was different bands like you just mentioned. Great White had actually a really good run, but... It was more the new bands, not so much the bands that already had albums out of it. What happened, it was too many of these new, almost bubblegum metal, hairspray bands being signed by labels. They were snatching them up for one record only, and they were dumping them out and dumping them out, and it just got sickening. It just, it, was, it had to end. <laughs> Daryl of the Killer Dwarves, did you ever play with Sleazebees, Bang Tango, Enough's Enough, Danger Danger, or Shark Island? Uh, you know what? We, we did play with Shark Island and not Bang Tango too, I think. Now, Shark Island, what can you tell the people about Shark Island and Bang Tango? Those are two amazing bands, legendary. Uh, we, you know what? Like on, on some of the club tours we would do, 
we, we played in Southern California a lot because we had hit songs there, and the Killer Doors actually sold a lot of records there. Like in today's standards, we sold over 100,000 records in California alone. And in today's standards, if you can even sell 100,000 records anywhere, that's like super successful. So that's how weird things are now. But, you know, I don't remember a lot about these bands because a lot of times they would just be on a bill that was put together by the record label. So the Killer Dwarfs might blow into L.A. and play the whiskey, and Shark Island and Sleazebees are on the bill, you know, and we're not even really aware of it, and they're just on the bill with us. And then, you know, you meet these guys for one night, and you might never talk to them again. So, yeah, there are two bands that I didn't tour with. Well, one band you did mention you toured with was Dio, and I played some Dio stuff. Had you ever heard of that early Ronnie James Dio stuff? What was your interactions with Dio, and did he ever talk about his early days there with the Prophets from the 1960s and er and late 50s? You know what? I was listening to your show about 40 minutes before I came on tonight, and and that really that blew me away hearing that old Ronnie stuff. I've never heard it. I knew he started out young, and I knew he, he, he did some of this stuff, but my my closest recollections of his music is with Rainbow. Like, I'm a big Rainbow fan. I'm a Dio fan from the Rainbow days, not even his solo and Sabbath stuff. Like, Man on the, Sil Man on the Silver Mountain is one of my favorite songs. You know, when he played with Richie Blackmore. And, uh, yeah, uh, Dio, I actually have some history with him. And, it's, and it's, it's what's even crazier, we have a new road crew guy that's coming on this tour with us, and his dad was Dio's road manager for 25 years just a kid, one of our crew guys, and uh, he's got a big tattoo on his arm, a Dio, and he was at Dio's funeral, and it was, meeting him, it was just weird to meet him, you know, this kid, and started telling me about Dio, so I keep, my past and, and present, it just keeps, Dio keeps coming into my life, it's, it's, it's really weird. Killer Dwarfs toured with Dio, did some shows, um, he was just a sweetheart of a guy, you know, his whole dark you know, image of the Sabbath and, and Black Sabbath days and all that. It's just the guy was such a nice man. Like, he was just a really good guy. Like, when the first day the Killer Dwarfs toured, you know, we were with Ingve Melmstein and, and Dio on a bill, and Ronnie came into our dressing room, and he said, Hey, guys, you know, Ronnie, nice to meet you. You know, if there's anything I can do for you or anything you need, just, you know, come to me and anything. And he, and he left the room. And, like, nobody does that. Like, they usually say, my road manager will get you something or whatever. But he was just a great guy. Where were the gigs you did with Dio? And was there any interaction at all with Ozzy? Ozzy? No. No interaction with Ozzy. We did the CNE Stadium in Toronto way back uh, here. Oh, man. I can't believe the years have gone by this fast, actually. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, 80s. Uh, Holy Diver tour it might have been and uh, we did we didn't do a full American tour with him really we just did a few shows and then we ran into him again in LA when Andy Johns was producing uh, Dirty Weapons and he was just hanging out in the pub and we just kept running into him over the years and we're speaking here to Daryl Dwarf Miller from Automan.ca, who are going to be playing Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's friendly neighbor, Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, on the 27th of October at the Outhouse, playing the Outhouse in Abbotsford on October the 27th. I'm speaking here to Daryl Miller from the Killer Dwarves, also in Automan.ca. If anybody has any questions at all for Daryl, it's 604-822-2487, 604 for UBC CITR, as I mentioned, Daryl was also in The Killer Dwarves. 
Now, Daryl, can you take us back to the glory days of great Canadian heavy metal? Brighton Rock, Honeymoon Suite, Slick Toxic, Raven, Platinum Blonde, Vertical After. Mm -hmm. Well, they were the glory days. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. And, you know, when you're in the middle of it, living it, you don't realize that life is any other way. You just you just see it as this is the norm. This is this is how it is. But so you know, little did we know that we were living in the riches of rock and roll. It was it was money was everywhere. You know, like you could make a fortune playing clubs. You could like. Well, what's was, the example of how much money could you make playing the clubs? Well, I'll just throw a few ballpark numbers out. I mean, it wasn't unheard of for the Killer Dwarfs to make five thousand dollars a night anywhere in any club. Not even big clubs, like clubs that hold 200 people. And was this in Canada or in the States? Because I've seen some interviews with you guys who were talking about how you weren't as big in Canada, but I always thought you were huge in Canada. So you had no trouble getting good money for gigs in Canada? No. I mean, well, you know, there's different levels of success, though. Big, you know, like in San Antonio, Texas, we'd play in front of 10,000 people. And in, in Canada, we never... We never achieved headlining shows like that. Some of our shows in the states, we could play five thousand seaters, and and like in Cincinnati, and play weird markets like that, and in California. But in in Canada, we never we we just became a concert club act, I guess you could say. We we would play those eight hundred seat concert clubs, which was great. I mean, we used to play outlaws in vancouver and sell it out and that vancouver was an awesome market for the killer dwarfs like we loved it there what do you attribute your success in texas to because weren't triumph big in texas how come texas like canadian heavy metal so much you know what this is good for you to know because you're a dj uh you know the power of radio and and, and djs themselves are are immense and uh there was a there was a dj uh named joe anthony and he was a DJ on KISS FM in San Antonio, and they called him the godfather of rock. So he was almost like kind of a Wolfman Jack in the 80s. He was, he was just a star himself, the DJ. And he took a liking to Canadian bands from Toronto especially. So he kind of broke Rush there. He broke a band called Moxie there. And he broke Triumph, and we were the last band, Killer Dwarfs. He played, he played our first album and made it like a top ten hit down there and so i have to discredit him for breaking the band in san antonio especially were you on equal footing with triumph yeah we were and at one at one point we were and rush too in texas i can't say that about rush when you talk about rush to me they're like a super group i just we probably were i know i wasn't paying attention you know i wasn't paying attention to what other bands were as big as we were I would just, I just knew that we hit when we hit we hit we were as big as anybody we were we were going you know flying down there to play shows just to fly down there we were from Toronto we just go oh our management would book a show sometimes just to go to Texas we'd go down for two days just go down and fly back if I may ask what were your worldwide sales uh, it, it a lot of time has gone by now so you know the the uh, last counts that I've heard. So the it's checks, pro- the, check, probably, the, the checks aren't reminding you right now. Then. No, the checks no, aren't not, reminding not, you. not these days. No, but but you know what? It's it's kind of a because of the bootlegging over the years and everything. Who knows? You know how many real sales we have at this point? And I know our records are still selling. And and I even see Stan Tall because it's not out now. 
available is, is on eBay for $250. It's just ridiculous. Anyway, the, the ballpark figure, round figure, is $3 million. Wow. How many of those were sold in Canada versus Europe versus USA? USA the most. Uh, Canada would be next, obviously. And uh, England. England, uh, different weird markets like Indonesia and places like that. We actually sold quite a few records. Spain was really good. <laughs> uh, some in France. Mostly England, though, because we did the biggest maiden tours there, like for Europe. And then America was really the biggest all around everywhere for us. Just We toured there the most. Like I said, our record label was there. You know, and, and it, the 80s were huge in, in America. Like, it was, that's where it was, Hollywood and New York. That's, that, that was the kingpin areas to be. So after the dwarves broke up, your bassist started operating like an auto repair shop and is into like World War II reenactments? Man, dude, where, you really do your research. Like, where are you getting this stuff from? No one's ever asked me this. Good for you. <laughs> uh, all true. It's all true. Ronbo. Yeah, Ronbo Dwarf uh, moved to Buffalo or Cheektowaga, I guess, after the band broke up. And uh, his wife, uh, her father had a, a garage station, and Ron invested in it. And Ron liked to tinker around with stuff. He liked to build amps and, you know, whatever. He was into cars and engines and stuff. So it's actually really cool. And he uh, he ended up buying into the garage, and he's he's kind of was doing that ever since. And, uh, yeah, the war reenactment things, I don't know how he got into that, but, you know, he started, when we had a reunion in 2001, he was leaving dates that we had to do to go to Boston to do these History Channel war reenactments wearing Nazi suits and stuff. It was so weird. It was like, because he has a big Luger collection of uh, World War II stuff. Like, he's not, a, he's not into Nazism or anything like that, but he just happened to collect these guns, these Luger guns, I guess, that were German guns. So he got offered, because he had collected some of the war memorabilia, he got offered to to be in these reenactments. So he started making money doing it. He was making 500 bucks a pop to go down and just be in these shows for an hour. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Was he collecting stuff when he was in the band? Like, were you doing gigs and then suddenly he wasn't there because he was off at, like, some rare shop looking for stuff? <laughs> Yeah, he, he kind of collected the stuff on and off Yeah, for years. he was And his dad was in Vietnam, and so he kind of grew up as a, as a war kid. He's an American, by the way. The rest of us are Canadian. I forgot to mention that. Although he lived in Toronto and New Brunswick most of his life, he, uh, his dad was um, American, so they were stationed in the U.S. during Vietnam. So Daryl Miller of the Killer Dwarfs, did you ever play with Striper? No. No, I, I, I'm not saying that in a derogatory manner or anything. It's just Striper to me back then was this religious band that I just couldn't buy it. They just, I don't know, man. I just, I just didn't think it was for real. I, I didn't know if these guys were putting it on. or. And then years later, I heard that, you know, they used to party just like anybody, and they weren't that religious and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Not they're not a good band. I just, you know, Sweet's a great singer, actually. He's singer in Boston now. You know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, the singer in Stripers is a singer in Boston. Now. And then eventually, Daryl, you ended up in the band Laidlaw. Yeah, I love Laidlaw. Now, I, go, sorry, go ahead. You were saying about Laidlaw? 
No, you 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 asked me the question. I cut you off. I apologize. Well, I was saying, Daryl, you landed in a band, Laidlaw, playing drums, and for Vancouverites, Laidlaw is sort of special. Do you know why? Why is Laidlaw special? Yes, yeah, some Vancouverites remember Laidlaw as the band that. They are special because there is a connection with with Vancouver. Actually, uh, have you heard of a band called Flash Bastard? Exactly. Ah, man, you. I got to give it to you, man. You've done your homework more than any interview I've done this year. Congratulations. <laughs> well, you're Daryl Dwarf. We got to know this stuff. So the Flash Bastard, they were on Nikki Six's record label doing a tour backing up the Scorpions and Motley Crue. It was their dream gig. They did like 2.5 weeks of the tour. And then what happened? Well, Laidlaw was the first band Nikki Six signed. Okay. And I remember him playing us this Flash Bastard stuff. He said, I'm really interested in this band. They're from Vancouver. And I said, oh, well, I'm Canadian, so that's cool. And we had that tour. We were on the tour already. We did 40 shows on that tour, Maximum Rock Tour. It was Scorpions, Laidlaw, and Motley Crue on that tour. And Flash Bastard got that northern kind of western run they got it they got a piece of it we were kind of done and they got that leg they got did you say it was two weeks it was something like that right they were supposed to get i think five weeks and they only did 2.4 right 2. and 5. what i remember i wasn't there so i don't want to say things that i don't know what i'm talking about i just know what i heard from nikki and you know apparently they were playing in denver at that outdoor rocks big concert venue of the rocks it's called or something and they got booed off the stage and they got stuff thrown at them and stuff and they had to leave the stage and i guess they were just out of control unruly or something on that tour i just don't know they caused a bunch of trouble you know and probably with kind of a punky attitude and whatever i don't know and, and six loved that kind of thing he was into that because he's that kind of guy you know he's so you know he was when he was younger he used to cause a lot of shit himself and molly crew oh pardon my language um so that's all I know about Flash Bastard. But unfortunately, Nikki was into it, which is cool, but unfortunately, Klaus of the Scorps wasn't too into it. I think there was a pitchfork involved between Fat Flash Bastard and the Scorps, Klaus. What did Klaus say about it? I thought it was him that was sort of upset. Thanks for refreshing my memory. Now I remember. Scorpions had them kicked off the tour. That's what happened. Klaus said, we're leaving or they're leaving. I don't think Nikki was going to kick them off the tour. That was right. Scorpions got really upset about what was going on because they were following them, right? Motley was on last. Yes. So Flash Bastard was on before Scorpions, and when, when they came on, the crowd was not in the mood that they want them to be in <laughs> before they started, I guess. I heard something to that effect. And you know what? I heard a lot of other things, too. And like I said, I just Actually, want to I'd repeat. Love to, I'd love to hear what you heard. Well, I just don't, I don't really want to repeat a bunch of things that I'm totally not 100% sure on. But well, I know the there opinion? was drugs I'm... involved with that band, too. That was a real issue. Somebody was, was on drugs to a point that was causing problems with that band. And that's one of the reasons they that Nikki didn't bother working with them again. Well, I guess what I was curious about was what the Scorps actually said about Flash Bastard afterwards. Do you remember well, anything more about they that? They said they sucked. And they, they were one of the worst bands that they ever had to go on after, and they didn't want to do it anymore. 
And, and oh, and there was a fight in the dressing room, I think, with the singer. The singer offended Klaus and said something to him. Said something to it that offended him. I remember that too. And that was the last straw kind of thing. And they were kicked off the tour just before playing The Gorge in George Washington and coming back to Vancouver for the hometown appearance. So it kind of hurt really hard for Flash Bastard. Too bad. I know I feel bad for them too at that point. You know, that's, that's not good for anybody. But you know what? You got to watch what you say and what you do in rock and roll. I mean, it's it's a big facade that it's this tough guy thing. You can walk around with this rock star attitude. It's, that doesn't exist. It's just not the way to go. <laughs> I wouldn't have been in the business 30 years if I walked around like that, I'll tell you. Did you replace them on the Motley Crue tour? Did Laidlaw replace Flash Bastard? No, they replaced us. But after they got kicked off, did anybody replace them? Oh, I I don't remember. I think we were done with Motley then, and we went out with ZZ Top after that. How do you get along with Vince Neil? I get along great with him. But what, one thing that happened, though, Vince is, uh, you know, he's quite the character. And, and on that tour, he was uh, going out to a lot of strip bars, which he likes to do, you know. And uh, I was being told, you shouldn't really hang around with, with Vince a lot because you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> I was kind of given that nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of thing from uh, the road manager. And as Vince was asking me to come out with him quite a bit. So I went out a few times and uh, had good times, but I could see, yeah, I don't know if I wanted to be around that day in and day out. One night he fell down the stairs outside of this club, so enough said. <laughs> I didn't want to be around it. Daryl Miller of The Killer Dwarves. And also of Automan.ca, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, October the 27th. Actually, Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, playing The Outhouse on October the 27th. Live here on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. Daryl Miller, Daryl Dwarf, have you seen that new show, The Ex-Wives of Rock? No, I've, I've seen Ex-Wives of Atlanta or all these other shows. I've seen little bits of them. But what's this one about? I, I don't know about it. It's the Ex-Wives of Rockstars. Bobby Brown is involved. Jerry Dixon's ex-wife. Vince Neal's ex-wife there as well. Have you ever encountered Bobby Brown or those famous Ex-Wives of Rock? No, but that sounds interesting. That's got to be a hit for sure. <laughs> I, I don't know those guys, no. Daryl Dwarf, when did you encounter Keanu Reeves and Dick Dale? Oh, that was uh, that was really cool. Uh, that was a Laidlaw show. Uh, we played the Palace in Hollywood, another club that the Killer Dwarf sold out in the 80s. And um, Keanu Reeves' uh, band and Dick Dale were on the bill with us. We opened for them, actually. And that was when, when Keanu was trying to do his solo thing or, or rock and roll fantasy or whatever he was doing what was the band again something dog dog star dog star thank you and yeah we did one show with them and uh you know i met him and stuff nice guy and uh it was a really cool show to, like playing with dick dale's like a surf legend and all this so and we're laidlaw was a southern rock band so it was really a, a, a cool kind of mix you have this surf legend guy playing his stuff he does and then we were like skinner we we're like a southern rock thing and then Keanu's band was kind of, I don't know, Theory of a Dead Man-like or something of the day. You know, it was kind of New Age rock, I guess, or like Bush, Bush X or Bush, whatever that band was. That's sort of what he was trying to do, I think. Daryl, your band Laidlaw, when you were playing drums, the co-member of the band, Gary Nutt, he played with Chubby Checker. What did he tell you about Chubby Checker? 
Uh, yeah, I know he plays with Chubby. He didn't tell me a lot about it. He didn't talk about it a lot. He just said it's a really cool gig to be a part of when it does happen. I don't think he played a lot of shows with him, but, I mean, I know he did one tour for sure. And, uh, yeah, he, he didn't have any stories or anything. There's that famous quote, Harry wants it, Harry gets it. <laughs> Where are you getting this stuff from? This is blowing my mind. No one's ever asked me these questions. You should pride yourself on that. I do thousands of interviews. I have in 30 years. Harry, you're talking about Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, right? Indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a, it was just a saying. Like When we toured in England with them, of the UK tour, the Seventh Son tour it was, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, it was some of the crew were, 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 that was their kind of cute pet thing they'd say about Steve because Maiden is a band, all right? They're, those guys get along. They're not, they don't hate each other like a lot of bands. They're, you know, they do get along. But at the end of the day, you know, Iron Maiden is Steve Harris's band. It, it's his band. That's the bottom line. So, you know, the crew would always go, well, Whatever Harry wants, Harry gets. Like he'd come back and ask something, right, from the road manager. He'd ask, he'd want a lighting change or he'd want a set change or something like that. And then they'd always say that after he left. Whatever Harry wants, Harry gets. So That's the, all that was. So it's the Killer Dwarves and Maiden touring together in England, but Iron Maiden didn't like your particular footwear, Daryl Dwarf, and then ripped off your codpiece? <laughs> Yeah, it's actually on YouTube. You can find it, and uh, Much Music played it as well. They blacked out some of it, but, yeah, it was a simple thing that I've become famous for, and, and all it was was, you know, we we wore, especially me, I used to like wearing those cowboy boots. Of the day. I still wear them on stage, like cowboy boots. I like elaborate cowboy boots, so I had these zebra ones, you know, that I bought in New York, and the Maiden boys are soccer players, sports-minded guys. They wear running shoes. That's about all they ever wear for footwear. So they just used to take take it out of me with those boots when they'd watch me walking down the hall with those boots. They'd go, get those boots off. So when we did the last night pranks of a tour, which bands do that get along, you usually try to trick each other, do some kind of a prank on your very last night of the tour because you're parting ways and you may never see them again or who knows. So when we were on stage... Uh, Maiden came and pied us in the face with shaving cream in the pies. And I just remember I couldn't even see. My eyes were, I was playing drums and my eyes were stinging. I couldn't even see. They caught me by surprise with two pies from behind me. So anyway, after our set, we got through our set and Russ and I were talking and I said, you know, we got to come up with something different, something good to get these guys. So we said, it can probably be something and then I thought about my footwear, and I go, the boots they don't like. And then Die With Your Boots On, one of their songs, that fit. So what I did is I had these bikini underwear on, believe it or not, which were zebra underwear. I put Mickey Mouse suspenders on them because I had a feeling Bruce might try to grab them. You know, you never know and take them off, right? So I had these suspenders holding them, and I wore the boots and a skull mask. And I ran out with two drinks in my hand during Die With Your Boots On in their set. And I ran up on top of their trusses and their set, and I was dancing around with the two drinks. I interrupted their show, basically. Everybody was laughing, and Steve loved it. He was laughing. And Bruce didn't love it. Bruce wasn't that amused with, uh, I think, me coming out there doing that. So anyway, when I was trying to escape and run off the stage, he grabbed my gotch. He got me from behind, grabbed, grabbed him, and they were stretched out 
I swear, like the Three Stooges. It was stretched out, and my feet were running, but I was standing still, if you can imagine that. I, like, I was slipping. I was standing still. And then the spender snapped. The gotch came off, and there's nothing I could do. I was naked. So uh, I kind of ran off, and uh, Rody threw me a towel, and then I was kind of actually kind of mad about it, and then I threw a beer at Bruce and missed his head by about an inch of a half can of Heineken. But you know what? It was all in fun, and then that was it. And then years later, you interviewed the guy that gave you the towel. Yeah. Oh, he's actually a really good friend. Yeah, Mike, Michael Kenny. He's still uh, Steve Harris's tech to this day. He's been with him from the start almost. Daryl Miller of the Killer Dwarves, also of Automan.ca, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, coming to Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada, October the 27th to The Outhouse. You mentioned earlier about Rush and the Juno Awards. You kind of like slinking down in your seat there because you wanted Rush to win. What was your interaction with Rush like? To be that close to Rush, like what was your interaction with Rush like? Well, you mean at the Juno Awards that year? Well, I guess just in general, just oh, being another in band, well, big, big in Texas, you know, fellow heavy metal friends. Did you talk to them much? What were they like? Here's what's really interesting about that. Rush, Rush was, was elusive. Uh, we never met them which was, was so weird. and They were like idols to us. And, and we had yet to meet those guys in person. We didn't even see them at the Juno Awards. I don't even know if they were there to accept the award, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I think they were touring. And I just met Getty Lee, no word of a lie, eight months ago at a restaurant that a friend of mine owns. And uh, I finally met him after all those years. And he was a super cool guy. Did he say anything about the dwarfs at all? Like, yeah, he totally knows the dwarfs. Totally remembers the dwarfs. You know, said the band was great. He loved it. And uh, we talked a little bit about it, just you know, and about what I'm doing now. And uh, you know, I congratulated him on what they're doing because they just never stop. They just get bigger every year. And it was really nice meeting him finally. Well, you finally met. You've made it. You've met Getty Lee, and you've made it on Metal Sludge. The Killer Dwarves are on Metal Sludge. Yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, yeah, that that I'm not that proud of. Well, I think that's pretty. <laughs> why Metal Sludge is awesome. Yeah, you like it? I yeah. do. All right. Yeah, it, it was. I think it was a lot bigger ten years ago. I mean, I know it's still popular to a point, but uh, when it first came out, I did the ten questions or whatever it was, and you know, it's it's tongue in cheek, right? It's fun. One of your earlier bands, Sphinx, opened for Gatto. What can you tell the people about Gatto and the importance of Gatto to Canadian rock? Gatto! Well, you know what? Gatto, Greg Gottovitz, who lives in Calgary now, uh, Gatto was a, a big part of, of rock in Toronto, like around the punk era, actually, all through that time. They, Gatto played the clubs, were the, one of the biggest club bands in Toronto. You know, they had two or three records. You know, they achieved a certain level status in this country and you know greg's a great guy i think he has a radio show he's, you know he's still busy and god still plays apparently they done they did a tour here last year they did some shows here not long ago when you played with your band sphinxa way back when opening for Gatto, what was Gatto's show like like did he play guitar with his cock <laughs> no no he never did that i know that's in the song yeah, cock on or whatever that song is. No, he played bass. He played a Gibson Grabber bass. That's what he played. Same one Gene Simmons uses, but... Yeah, the song Cock On by yeah. Gatto, did he have the... Maybe was he... Or did he have the audience grab his cock and then bang the cock up against... How did that work? Like He might have done that at 
at some shows. Um, I don't think he did it every night. I never seen him do that at the show we played, but we were playing an arena and it was with Max Webster, which was really cool. Max Webster was the headliner. And uh, I didn't see him doing anything with his cock, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Did you have any interactions at all with Def Leppard? Did you ever play with Def Leppard and the Killer Dwarves or Automan.ca or Laidlaw? Uh, you know, my memory is just coming back to me. It's amazing. When you ask me these questions, it, some of the stuff's coming back to me. I'm going, holy crap, I did have an interaction with them. Uh, the whole band came to see Killer Dwarfs in Sheffield, England, where they're from, when we opened, with our, opened for Iron Maiden. And that was when the drummer still had his arm and everything. And, uh, yeah, they came out. Joel, the side stage, watched our whole show. And then I ran into I run into them every year. I know a couple of their crew guys actually, and I usually try to go see them. They get me into the show, and they roll through town if I'm not touring. Now, Def Leppard had an interesting backstage pass. Did you hear about the interesting backstage pass that they had? Def Leppard? Yeah, Def Leppard DL. They had the DL backstage pass, which stood for the Dick Liquor. Oh, well, pass. you're educating me on this. I didn't know that. And apparently the road crew who you run into, Daryl Miller of the Killer yeah. Dwarfs, yeah. would hand out the special dick liquor backstage <laughs> pass to people that wanted to lick dicks. <laughs> so that when Def... You're so expressive, Nardwars. It's beautiful. So that when <laughs> Def Leppard was backstage drunk after a gig, they wouldn't get confused as to who the real groupies were. You know, like you're backstage, you're drunk, and you're grabbing the wrong person. But if they had the dick liquor backstage pass, they knew it was okay to grab them. You know what? It sounds like a good system to me. Have you ever had anything like that at all worked out for the killer dwarves? It must have been some filth. Yeah, there, there, there was. We had our share of all that. Women, women in rock and roll have always been there to be a pacifier and get you through, you know? And, uh... The 80s was probably some of the most decadent of all time with girls that were loving to wear nothing hardly and come to rock shows and pick up rock musicians. It was a good decade for it. And uh, we didn't have any passes or anything like that like those guys had. But uh, I'm not going to say we were angels. I mean, why would you when you're in your 20s and you have beautiful women throwing themselves at you? I mean, it's pretty hard to uh, indulge in that kind of thing. Now, one other thing I want to ask you, because I've heard about this legend of Canadian rockers Helix, or it could be Kick-Ass, and I'm not sure if this is exactly true or not, but I heard one of the bands, either Helix or Kick-Ass, they were playing, and one of the guys in the band sat down, he was wearing spandex, and he sat down on the drum riser, and unfortunately, on the drum riser, there was a beer bottle, and the beer bottle punctured the spandex and went up the bum. Come on. And as a result, he had to stop the gig because it was a broken bottle. Have you heard Are you making this up? No, I've heard this legendary story. Can you confirm this at all, Daryl Dwarf from the Killer Dwarfs? Well, I know both bands very well. I loved Kick Axe. They were a great band. And uh, Helix are really good friends of ours as well to this day. So uh, I couldn't confirm that, but I could maybe find out later and email you. If that you want to know, if you really want to know, I could ask Brian Vollmer from Helix, and I could get a hold of Vic, I guess, from Kick-Axe, the bass player. And if, he, that ever, if that really happened, 
I could let you know from them. They would tell me the truth. I guess I'm kind of thinking, I'm hoping it's Helix or Kick-Ass, because uh, Kick I love those bands. But then I guess the person who told me the story said it was a Canadian heavy metal band that wore spandex. And I right. guess I was thinking of those guys. Did you wear much spandex yourself? Uh, not not that much. Uh, and me being a drummer, it didn't really matter what I wore, really, from the waist down. Because I, I played a big, giant double bass drum kit with these big concert power toms and you know what I was pretty buried in those drums you could only see me from maybe mid waist up mid chest up I guess you could say uh, and, and Restorf he never really wore spandex he wore he wore jeans and things like that you know we weren't we weren't really we didn't go full out Hollywood a lot of those Hollywood bands wore all spandex we we, uh, we dabbled in it I guess you could say but we kind of never felt comfortable in it Russ Dwarf was pretty short. However, he was very tough, and he could do flips and stuff like that. Did he really get in a fight with Alice Cooper's guitarist? Um, he did get in a few fights, usually right off stage. He he, uh, he reminded me of, of the punk guys a lot because he was always looking for a little bit of that with the audience, a little bit of scrapping and stuff. But Alice Cooper's guitar player, that I definitely don't remember, and I'm a big Alice Cooper fan, and... I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Did you, where, where did that happen, or where did you hear that happen? Did you play with Alice Cooper at all? Uh, no, we never got to open for Alice, unfortunately. You have a connection, though, to Steppenwolf, to Dennis and Jerry Edmonton, which is pretty amazing. Are they your cousins? Well, I have the biggest connection with them. Yes, they're my blood first cousins. They're uh, my dad's sister's sons. Um, Jerry, unfortunately, died in a car accident in 1993. He lived in Santa Yez, California, and he died on Thanksgiving. He was uh, went for a drive in his new car, and he just hit some uh, loose gravel on a country road or whatever. He was taking some friends for a drive in his car, and he flipped the car, and uh, he died, and they lived. They never got a scratch on him, but something happened to his seat engaged or something, and he hit his head, and it killed him, but it was sad. And Dennis, Dennis is awesome. Mars Barnfire, he goes by. Dennis is uh, lives in California today, and he's uh, he's into mountain climbing and hiking. Is what he does. He's basically retired. He's a multimillionaire from Born to Be Wild alone, one song. And uh, he was up here at a music seminar a couple of years ago, uh, CMW. As I took him to dinner, and I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, yeah, he's doing great. It was really good to see him. That's what I was curious about with Steppenwolf royalties. Maybe for the people that don't know, you could give your connection a bit more in detail to the Steppenwolf Sparrow connection for people that don't know. Uh, well, basically, like I said, it's my dad's sister's sons, the two brothers. And, you know, I grew up around them, which was awesome. It gave me a rich musical thing right off the get. I mean, I've been playing drums since I was seven years old, and I mean, I used to see them rehearse and stuff. And, like, and at that time, they were the Sparrow, like Jack, maybe a background on some of the bands, if you could explain that just quickly, winding up here. Well, the 60s, yeah. They, they started in the early 60s. They had a couple of hits. One was called Hard Times with the Law. I can't remember the other one. They, had, they were on Capitol Records, and Jack London and the Sparrow, that was Jerry and Dennis's first band. And then that evolved into Steppenwolf. John Kay came to Canada from Germany and lived in Toronto. They met him, and uh, Jack London or whatever was ousted. And uh, John Kay came in, and then they got Goldie McJohn, the keyboard player who lived in Newmarket at the time. And Steppenwolf was born. And uh, they got, I guess, 
Larry Byron, the guitar player, too. They got him as well. I think he was an American. Cause, and then Steppenwolf moved to New York, and then they moved to San Francisco. And that's when they got started to get big. So they were really a West Coast band, and everybody had no idea they were Canadian, and everybody thought they were American. But really, Steppenwolf's a Canadian band. They started here. And uh, what else did you want to know about Well, that? your cousin, Dennis Edmonton, right. Mars Bonfire, wrote... Right. Born to be wild. Your cousin right. wrote Born to be wild. Yeah, so I thought I said that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's, he wrote Born to be wild, and that song... Actually, you did say that. I just want to yeah. say it again. Okay, everybody knows that song is in the top ten of all time of songs. It, it's up there. It, it is in more television commercials, more movies, from Easy Rider back in the day to everything now that you see it in. And Dennis is completely wealthy from this one song. I mean, he told me he gets checks some days for $100,000 from, like, a Toyota commercial that's in Japan that uses that song. He gets that kind of cake from that song to this day, still. So it's even picked up lately. Like, I would have thought maybe it was, like, years before, but it's just still kicking along, eh? No, no, it keeps going on and on, and, that, and that's why uh, Universal has it. That's in their catalog, and uh, they flew Dennis up to talk about that very thing to songwriters at the CMWs two years ago. That's I took him to dinner, right? And I said, and Universal flew him up, and they basically, you know, flew him up to talk about the song, to just, you know, tell tell people just how powerful it well, it is to this day. And and then they, you know, and then the the reps were there saying, yeah, man, it's it makes this X amount of dollars, like no less every year, still. How about the rest of the guys in Steppenwolf, like John Cale? Did he sign that all away? How is he doing? John K, yeah. Um, John K, sorry. John K. I was thinking of John Kale from the Guess Who for a second there. Yeah, there you go. Jo John K uh, carried on Steppenwolf after Jerry was not even playing in the band anymore or anybody else. He he put a whole new lineup together and toured for 15 years. Steppenwolf broke up in 73, officially. So John did had a great career on his own, just going as John K and Steppenwolf. And uh, he toured the world... And I think he's retired. Uh, he might be doing the odd show, but I know he was going to retire because he's definitely getting up there in age. I think he's almost 70. And I think he's retired or he's, I, he might do the odd biker festival or something, but I think he's pretty well done. And Goldie McJohn, who I'm friends with, the keyboard player, he lives in Seattle. And uh, he's got a band together. And he just played, Goldie just played keyboards on Dennis Dunaway's record from Alice Cooper. Uh, all the Alice Cooper boys are all, all the old original Alice Cooper band, Neil Smith, Dennis Dunway, all these guys. They have bands. They're out, they're out playing. They're still friends with Alice Cooper. Daryl Miller, Daryl Dwarf, thanks again for phoning in to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Again, your band, Automan.ca, is playing Saturday the 27th in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada at the Outhouse and one last question, a bit about the Steppenwolf Mars bonfire legacy. Did Mars tell you anything about his relations with Kim Fowley, legendary producer Kim Fowley? Because there's some great Kim Fowley stuff that I was going to play after the interview. Scorpion, Hey Girl, I'm Ugly, a great tune that apparently Mars Bonfire has something to do with. Have you ever heard of anything to do with Kim Fowley and Mars doing stuff together? You know what? He, I don't actually. Uh, you know, I, he didn't. He, did, he hasn't mentioned that to me. But one thing he did tell me is like it was so rich in the '60s with artists and people that he met and people he knew that it's just like a blur. You know, like he just said it. 
you know, they were hanging out with the Doors one day and Janice Joplin the next, and they were playing on on a bill with the Doors or Grateful Dead in San Francisco every other weekend. They were, I mean, it was it blows my mind the stories he tells me. You know, and he told me there was a lot of drugs, man, a lot of acid. It was for real. They were all doing it, liquid Kool Aid. They were all stoned all the time. That's what he told me. Daryl Dwarf, Daryl Miller, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? No, except I'm really looking forward to coming out there. I love Vancouver, and uh, my daughter actually lives there, so I'm going to be coming right into Vancouver and spending a nice, relaxing day off on the Sunday, the 28th. So I will be out spending my money in your fine restaurants and uh, enjoying myself. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, check out Automan, automan.ca in full online. Uh, We have a YouTube site is Automan Rock Band, and uh, find us on... uh, Facebook is our fan club on there, which is uh, facebook.com slash groups slash automan.ca. And uh, if you like rock and roll, uh, because I'm influenced by the 70s, uh, majorly influenced by rock of the 70s. So when I put Automan together with Carlton Lockhart, my writing partner, who's a big Jeff Beck fan and a big Stones fan, you know, we wanted to write music that's honest of what we really love. So Automan is like... ZZ Top meets ACDC of 1975, Bon Scott, you know, and, and, and Stonesy, Stonesy too. So if you like that blues-rooted guitar rock and roll, have a listen to us. And we're going to end right now here, Daryl Dwarf, with some classic Killer Dwarfs. Keep the spirit. Wow. Keep the spirit alive. What a big you, hit. Yeah, a big hit for us. Yeah, what can you tell the people will keep the spirit alive? The same word spirit as Rush has. Spirit. Canadian yeah, bands true. love spirit. Lots of spirit we had. Uh, keep, well, keep, keep the Spirit Alive was our first American hit, our first American single, and, and it really did well in California again. Like Texas and California were our biggest markets. And uh, we did a couple of videos off Stand Tall, that record, which was the title track, Stand Tall, was one video. And Keep the Spirit Alive was the other video. And this was in the infancy of Much Music and MTV uh, when these came out. They, they, you got to remember that Much and all that had only been around three, four years by the time these videos came out. And we were, it's unheard of to think, but we were in medium rotation on MTV with these videos. And we, we got the most plays for any indie band because we hadn't been signed by Epic yet. We were on Maze Records in Canada and Grudge Records in America. We were an indie on an indie label when Stan Tall came out. So we got the most rotation on MTV in, in history for an indie band. I don't know if that record's been broke. I highly doubt it because they don't play videos anymore. <laughs> well, here we go with Keep the Spirit Alive by the Killer Dwarfs. Thanks so much again for phoning in Daryl Dwarf Miller and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Thank you very much, Edward. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You're a very excellent DJ and uh, exciting person to talk to. Well, thanks for the kind words, Daryl Dwarf Miller. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Dun, dun.
Spirit Alive, featuring Daryl Dwarf Miller on drums. Daryl Dwarf Miller off the Killer Dwarfs. And that was the Killer Dwarfs. Let's keep the spirit alive. And Daryl's new band, Automan.ca, is playing Abbotsford Outhouse. Abbotsford's Outhouse on October the 27th, Saturday. Speaking of upcoming events... On Monday, October the 15th, this coming October the 15th, Yap Blanc will be leading two improv workshops at the Western Front. Yap Blanc, who I'm about to play to end the Nardwari Human Survey Radio Show. When you hear Yap Blanc, you will want to attend one of his improv workshops at the Western Front. And if you don't want to go to the workshop and you just want to see him perform, Yap Blanc will be performing at 1067. That's triple one. 5B East Hastings Street off Glen Drive. If you want more info on that, join 1067 of the Yahoo groups for more details. 1067 Yahoo group for more details. So again, Yap Blanc, this Monday, October the 15th, will be leading two improv workshops. Gonna play some Yap Blanc right now. So if you like what you hear, Go down and have Yaplonk lead you in a workshop, and this is at the Western Front, and visit No Orchestra, NowOrchestra.com for further details. NowOrchestra.com for further details. So Yaplonk this Monday at the Western Front, and also next Friday, the 19th, Yaplonk will be at Triple One Five B East Hastings off Glen 1067 and join 1067 Yahoo group for more details. So here's Yap Blanc on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Oh, yeah, Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. Bekrimp, grain, 
Gegeven grenen grompel, geen bekrimpel. Kramp, kramp, begrimpel, gramp. Gegege, be. Gegebe, be. Bekrampen, begreven, geen krimp. Rampen, even, in de handen. In, heen, even, in, ham, in, in, ham. Ham, in, ham, in, ham, in, ham, in, ham, presents Alan Stone live in concert with special guests Kingsek and Yuna at the Vogue Theatre. Stone mixes elements of pop with soul and gospel into a soul-soothing sound, so don't miss his last Canadian tour stop. Tickets are $20 and can be purchased in advance through Zulu Records or online at unionevents.com or vogue-theater.com. Doors open at 7. All ages are welcome. Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. At CITR, our hosts choose the music they play. That means our charts actually reflect the tastes of music lovers, as opposed to focus groups. So if you want to know what's really tearing up the charts, get your hands on a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or go online to CITR.ca. CITR's charts are based on actual spins motivated by actual preference. No payola. No marketing, just good tunes. Refreshing, no? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 